corpus delicti is a Latin term that means the body of a crime. It's the proof that a crime has been committed, which is necessary before finding out who committed the crime. And crimes certainly don't all look the same. Corpus Delicti is also a true crime podcast that takes a serious approach into various ways crimes are committed. Cruise ship deaths, historical crimes, and women who kill are just a few of the themes we have covered cases on. We even dive deep into the case of a likely innocent man on death row in our home state of Alabama. We're coming up on 200 episodes soon, so there's plenty to binge. Join us every week wherever you get your podcasts as we dive into a new case within our current series. That's C-O-R-P-U-S-D-E-L-I-C-T-I. Hope to see you soon. You're listening to Sirens, a true crime podcast brought to you by the Sirens Network. This podcast contains explicit content, so listener discretion is advised. The opinions expressed on this podcast are solely the views of the hosts and do not reflect the views of affiliates, associates, or sponsors of this podcast. This is Sirens, a true crime podcast. There are rumors and witnesses that claimed that they saw the girls at a New Year's Eve party the day after they were abducted. There are also witnesses that claim that they have seen photos of the girls. Some say that they're Polaroids. Some say they're just regular photos um, of the girls tied up and beat up. Tied and bound. Tied and bound. And, um, but the problem is, is that no, the police have never seen them. They've never surfaced. Because a lot of people moved out of picture, but their homes were still here vacant. Yeah. And that's when a lot of the drug people would come in and Uh, squatters, right? Uh Uh-huh. Mm-hmm. Do their little drugs for four or five days a week, yeah. two weeks, three weeks, and then they'd go. The people that were picked up in Ottawa County for drug charges after the girls disappeared for the next year, they'd come in there and they'd ask them, do you know anything about the Freeman Bible Freeman case? And they would say, oh, those two missing girls from Welch? Well, then they would tell them that the girls were took and... I mean, there was tons of people that would tell them. They were took to a New Year's Eve party right. where they were raped, sodomized, abused, drugged. A lot of them was, you can't find somebody that will actually admit it because they're more afraid of those people. Right. right. Of but but there was enough different people that said, yeah, I heard this, I heard this. So they, That's and how were, we end up at Wyandotte. Okay. There were at Twin Bridges and then over there on the Glover property. That's how we ended up there. Many people said they saw them and could tell the law enforcement what was on there. Girls were tied up to a bed. The girls were tied up in chairs. Did anybody ever identify specifically Laura? Or? Said it was the girls. Okay. Probably tossed somewhere, burnt somewhere. They know that the girls were being held hostage in a home in Pitcher for at least a week after they went missing, um, where they were tortured, where they were sexually assaulted, and where they were murdered. No evidence have, has ever surfaced from that. 
a lot of it's been people in and out and girlfriends of the suspects and people of um who use drugs run drugs do drugs down in that area because that the home that they are claiming all of this happened in um it was a home owned by a certain man named phil welch and it was a known uh drug house so and it's and i will let you know that the memorial sits on top of where that where that, that home was where that home was yeah in picture it was very strange like loreen literally like we're sitting there and there's this beautiful memorial that she has erected and she didn't put it right on top of it it's no, like it's sitting right little, off of but it it's on the yeah it's on the the property it's like it's right next to it and she's literally like well here's where the and there's lines Kitchen showing was, kind of where the bedroom from was. the water lines that were marked. Yeah. I think she did it because she's trying to say, look, we know where you took them. Look, we know. Like, you're not fooling us. Yeah. Yeah. And um, this is the beginning of where Phil Welch starts to be implicated because it was his home. This was like the where they went to do drugs mm-hmm. and make drugs yes. and sell drugs. It was like he had this big drug. They said he made methamphetamine. Yeah, they were making meth out of there um, and, and all sorts of other stuff. And because this is where Phil Welch begins to be implicated, it's where the other two men begin to be implicated as well because these other two men are apparently Phil's right and left hand. By that time, uh, Steve Nutter had retired. Tammy Ferrari took over the OSBI in this area. And then uh, Gary's uh, standard was, uh, he was an investigator in the Tulsa County Detectives uh, for many years. And he retired out of the Tulsa County and took up a job for the DA in Rogers, Mays, and Craig County that he's um, advocate for people that have been raped, molested, abused, and stuff. Mm-hmm. But he looked in the case for years with him and his buddy saying, how in the hell can this case be like that? So when he come over there, he had asked uh, his boss, hey, can I look into this case on my own? I said, as long as it doesn't interfere with yours, yeah. So he'd started talking, looking for people, and it's still there's still somebody out there that people are still scared to talk. Yeah. I said, oh. there's people that know something, but whoever. I said, at the beginning, it was called the Chautauqua Five. Well, three of them would have been Philip Welch, David um, Pennington, Ronnie Busey, which I think Ronnie was down at the end. He mm-hmm. wasn't a hard one. But I said, there's still two others in that ring mm-hmm. that know something. Yeah. But people are more scared of them than they are me or the police because they they do cruel things. Yeah. They're beyond I the I mean, wall. they come to your house in the middle of the night and slow your throat. They don't think nothing yeah. about it. I'm not coming to slow your throat. Yeah. I just want information that you might know. A break in the case, and this was Way, 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 way. This is after the fact. Because uh, right after the investigation, Lorene kind of knew that she wasn't going to get anywhere with with police. And they ended up hiring a private investigator named Tom Pryor. And Tom 
went out to the house where this happened and was searching the property and he found an insurance verification card that should not have been there and it was just laying in the driveway it was just laying yeah laying in the driveway um laying in the front yard basically should in no way have been there uh within days it was tracked to a woman who was living with phil welch at the time so her name was on this insurance verification card. Now it was known that Phil would frequently take and drive her car. And she said that her insurance was on her glove box. Exactly. If that's true, why would that insurance card be in their driveway just days after this happened? And unrelated witnesses claim to have seen these girls in his home just days after this happened. I mean, I know that that it at this point is circumstantial. It's pretty good circumstances. I mean, you take that being found in the driveway, if it doesn't put him at the scene of the crime, it puts him at that house mm-hmm. sometime around there. So he he was there at some point and it would be really easy for something like that to fall out of a glove compartment if you were pulling out say a gun yes or you were pulling something out of that glove compartment it might have just flown out the door yeah exactly and so Pryor looked into this further and he actually found this car at a salvage lot with females clothing in it now i know that it was owned by a woman but um it also had a rental receipt in it for a mobile home that welch was currently living in not the home in picture but the one he was currently living in so i mean not only do you know that they were dating but you know that he was at least in the vehicle at the time at some point because he has his receipts in there and someone was at that house yes um, he told investigators when he found this card, he told them about it and said that it needs to be put into evidence and it wasn't just p- plain and simple. It just, it wasn't. He said he kept the card. He himself kept the card as evidence for almost two decades. Finally, a man named Gary Stansel who was an investigator with the District 12 DA's office, and Tammy Ferrari, an agent with the OSBI. These investigators later alleged that Welch and two associates, the right and left hand that we were talking about, David Pennington and Ronnie Busick, were actually the murderers and had all three been there that night and Lorraine actually thinks that there was a fourth man there as well which I think there's a good chance that it was Jeremy Jones but that's that's just that is hearsay that is hearsay but that's our conjecture (laughs) but I think it's a good possibility um and then these other three men of course you have Phil who is the head honcho yes you've got um You've got Ronnie and uh, David Pennington, David. who they said was really good with methamphetamine, from mm-hmm. what I read. Was very good with making With meth- cooking. With cooking, was, making methamphetamines. A and good so- cooker. And then, you know, you had Ronnie, who apparently was the thief of them, that would, um, uh, he was like the one who would 
break into places and enters the arrowheads and yes and and so you have one man who a lot of people have claimed were terrified of phil um that they have no doubt that he could absolutely take a life uh they were afraid of him and they even claimed that ronnie and david were afraid of him that he threatened a lot of people yes he threatened a lot of people his girlfriends had said yes. that he threatened their life. Absolutely. And so you have one man who's not afraid to take a life. If I'd have found the person that did this, I probably could have shot him dead. And I thought twice about it. Mm-hmm. Then I thought, then I'm no better than male. I mean, that, that part of your body finally takes over and tells you, if you become a killer like they are, then you're no better than they are. Now, here's an offbeat theory of mine. If, because, and, and there's a lot of stuff that goes into Danny being involved with drugs. Yes. Um, and if you want to know more about that, you can read Helen Heartland because Jack's covered that. Goes like, into depth. So deep. Yes. And so my theory is if Danny got into selling or whatever because he needed this $5,000. He needed to make some cash. He needed to make it quick. So he could put the lawsuit against yes. the county. Now, he's already, you know, into weed selling and stuff like that. So he kind of knows the circle of people you need to get in with in order to make some real money. So let's say he contacts Phil and he says, I want to sell for you. Well, what if he sells and he never hands over that money because he needs it? He needs it you know, in order to file this wrongful death lawsuit. Well, Phil's going to come and collect. He's going to come and get that money. He's going to come and get what he's owed. He's going to bring his right-hand men, and he's going to bring a getaway driver. Well, and Jeremy Jones would have been already known because he would have been the one that Mm -hmm. was supposed to meet with Danny Freeman. Exactly. He's the one that was supposed to do the initial meetup. And so, you know, We already know that there's a connection between Jeremy Jones and Danny in some way. We already know that there's a connection just from the area between... All of them. All of them, yes. And so it's not too far-fetched to say, if Lorena is correct, that there were four men there that night. What could have happened was, these four men went to collect. They did not know and they were not aware that the girls were there that night. Because if you think about it, Danny Freeman would have probably would have never had the girls, you know, especially exactly. his daughter with him. Yes. To do any of this, it would have been somewhere out. Right. And um, and of course, you know, the trailer was burned down. So we don't know if they broke in the house. Yes. We don't know, you know, if they kicked in the door if with he guns. knocked and they let him, he let him in. Yeah. Because he thought it was just. Exactly. Who knows? Um, the evidence of where the bodies were found. Uh, where Kathy and Danny were found, suggests that they did not know that someone was in the home until it was too late. That's true. And so what I believe happened was these men showed up. They kicked in the door. They got in the the door somehow. um, And they were, at least Phil was already packing. He had a shotgun and he went in there to threaten Danny to get his money. I feel like when... Danny said, you know, I don't have your money or whatever. Something got out of hand and Phil shot him. I feel like Kathy decided at that point it was time to get away. She turned around and was shot. While that's happening, 
You know, he's the lead man. Maybe he's barking orders. You know, Ronnie, take whatever you can get. Take whatever you think is of value. He grabs the arrowheads. Maybe he tells um, David, you know, set this place on fire. Burn it to the ground. And he's the one that is out, you know, putting it down the accelerant. And maybe at that point is when the girls... Maybe they, because Lorraine seems to think that they went out the back. There was a back door. So there was a back door. Um, And there's a good chance that the girls snuck out the back door. That would explain why Laura's purse was still there and touched because they never went back there. They never went back there. Um, and, And there's also a good chance that, you know, one of them while looking for, you know, valuables or whatever, spooked them and saw them run out the back. Because we do know that around in that area is where they were kidnapped. Yes. Um, Because back there, there's, you know, there's a bunch of tall grass and stuff like that. And the dog was home that night. Um, Sissy was home and the dog followed them out the back. And I, I think Sissy might have been the reason why they I think brought some attention caught, to yeah, them. brought some attention to them um but at some point they realized that the girls were there and that they went out the back door there if there are four men there even if there are three men there that's enough that's and enough to take two girls there's really nowhere um just being there there's nowhere for those girls to have ran to no it's not like they could have ran next door and gotten help. There, there was no next door. There was no next door. Yeah. I mean, it, they it, would have had to run for, I think we calculated that the closest neighbor was at least like two miles away. They would have had to run for a really long time and then take the chance of hiding at night yeah, yeah. in the middle of the night. Yeah. Or they could have disappeared um, in the back the back uh, where it seems like they were going to was to try to disappear in yes. the forest back there. But again, it's nighttime and it's very, very thick forest. And these are two young yes, teenagers. Year old and girls. so you have to remember, they're probably scared. Yeah. They're probably not really coordinated. Mm-hmm. When you're really scared like that, your coordination yeah. is not the best. And that's why you see people yeah. fall in movies and things yeah. because their coordination is off because of their fight or flight. Well, and we do know that, at, at least we think we know that they weren't murdered anywhere on the premises. That they were captured because there was no evidence of blood or anything no, like that was on nothing. the premises. Um, so we do think that, you know, they whoever did this was alerted that they had run out the back that they were trying to hide in the field back there that they went out there and they captured them four grown men even three grown men even two grown men could definitely capture two 16 year old girls yes um and i i think that that's precisely what happened that they drug them back to the car maybe that's when that you know insurance card falls out of the car they load them up and they haul them off. Now, what happened to them after that? I don't know. They were seen at Phil's home. In picture. There were pictures taken of them where they were bound and gagged and tortured. And um, it's believed that they were kept there for at least a week after their kidnap. Their kidnapping. Awful. So awful. Um, of course, we don't know that no, for sure. But just to think about that, it's just yeah. very awful. 
there were tips that came in to, well, to all over, um, even to Lorene, where um, people had said that, you know, they were thrown down the mines. They were kept and held in uh, storm cellars in Pitcher, that they were in the cellar in in that home, in Phil's home, when they um, demolished the home. And there's just, there's a lot of different things that people, you know, have said. Mm-hmm. Too. And we had a search Friday. Yeah. Thursday. That's when, what yeah, day I was telling you. What day was No, Thursday. And I, know. I don't even know what I've today is. <laughs> today is. Today is Monday. Yeah. Yeah. What? And my husband doesn't go ever. He, yeah, he asked me the other day, he's like, do you want me to come out? And I've told him, I'm like, you're always welcome to come, but I'm not going to ask you to come out there. Yeah. And he always says, well, I feel like I should just stay away because that's, you know, kind of, but it's been that way for almost 23 years. Mm-hmm. And if, if there's been something going on or if Lauren calls and says, Hey, I've got somebody that wants to meet us, her and I go, we've done some pretty dumb things. Well, and so many times we don't think. If somebody says, I've got some information, I want you to meet you me, just we yeah, just go. Yeah. But if she calls and says, hey, somebody want, I'm like, let's go. And yeah. we do it. It's right out. If it hadn't been raining so much, we'd been right over there last month digging again. Because they found a cellar over there on a piece of property. We were going to do it, but the digger we were using broke. Oh. And they said, oh, there's nothing here. Well, now they found out there is a cellar over there. So. It's just, it just says people come forward saying just, you need to go here, we go do it. Okay. One by one. Yeah. You know, I have a nephew and one of the girls, is, uh, Sheena, Laura's best friend, one of her best friends, her husband has equipment. Between oh. my nephew and him, they pull in equipment as well as the last big dig we did, they pulled both their equipment in here and the Quapaw Indians. Oh, that's good. Because we dug up probably three lots. When we got Gary and Tammy on board, that's when things started changing. That's in one wow. day. So how do you know? So you just know people that know people that know yeah. people. Yeah. That's, well, and that's nowadays when kids are, we've kept it out enough. People said, well, I used to live where my grandparents lived there. This is where they lived. Yeah. You know, I remember this. I remember that. And they give us location. We give it to Tammy yeah. and, and to Gary. And we talk to Ed and... Is this viable piece of information? Could, could we, you know, go look and see, is this really here? Could that have happened back in the day? Yeah. For months, years, without knowing anything. And then in 2015, one of my niece's friends, Lisa, by then her husband was a web designer when that social media platform came up. Mm-hmm. And he says, um, uh, why don't we build you guys a web for Laura. We said, we have not the first thing. He said, I'll help design it. I'll get you up and running. So that's in December. Immediately, everybody was using Facebook, and it was another avenue. Mm -hmm. Here's the story of these missing kids, where in 15 years, the people of the drug people's kids that was 15, 12, 10, 9, they were grown with children, and they were like, oh, shit. And that's how we started. Hey, you need to go look in Chitopa. Mm-hmm. And I don't know why. I mean, it was at that point was when a friend of mine said, 
why do you not have a Facebook page started? Why are you not using social media? And I'm like, duh, I don't know. I had, it just, yeah. we had done things. Yeah. I hadn't thought of well, it. You weren't, you weren't born into the social media. Age. No, no. And yeah. so when she said that, I'm like, oh, yeah, we should probably do that. Yeah. And I really feel like that's when a lot of doors started opening because then people had a way to talk to us. Yes. Yeah. Without having to talk to law enforcement, which was good and bad. You have to take the bad with the good. Yeah. Um, and it's daily. I mean, it's daily still. Mm-hmm. And, well, but there was a situation a couple of years ago, this crazy lady called and we had dealt with her once before. She had, she said she was a psychic. She wanted to oh, put Laureen to sleep. Jack, it was the weirdest thing. And so we agreed, we went over and we're going in this house and it's all dark, but some candles. And so she's like trying to, um, what's the word? Hypnotize Laureen. So oh. Laureen's laying on this couch and she wants me to record it. And I'm like, Oh God, what are we doing? Oh, <laughs> what no. are we doing here? And so, Laureen's just like, mm-hmm, yeah, uh-huh. And then, so then we left. She, I'm like, she really put you to sleep? She's like, hell no. I don't know. I was about to say, I don't so think Laureen funny. is capable of being hit. No, but, so, but then the lady's like, okay, well, it didn't work on her, so let's do it with you. And I'm like, we have to go. I have things to do. <laughs> and so, I mean, like, honestly, I put her number in my phone as, like, the crazy lady. Mm-hmm. And then, so she calls one day and says, she's freaking out. She's found these bones. She's over in picture and she needs us to come right she, away. She, she said, know. I don't know what to do. I don't know what to do. And Lorraine's like, don't do anything. Don't call anybody yeah, else. Don't touch anything. Just, we were on our way. So mm-hmm. she calls me, Lorraine's in Claremore. She's like, crazy ladies, found bones, blah, blah. I'm like, all right, I'm, let's go. Like I was in the middle of cooking Sunday afternoon, you know, lunch. I'm like, it'll be done by the time you get here. Let's go. So we, we get over there. Well, as we're pulling into picture, um, I think it was channel seven news calls Lorraine or whatever. And she looks at me like, you've got to be, so she answers the phone. The lady didn't call authorities. She called all the news stations around here and told them that she'd found the girl's bodies. Oh my gosh. She brain was so mad. So she's telling, like, fortunately we kind of, we know all the news media around here. And so she's like, no, this woman is crazy. She did not find any. We will call you back if there is anything. The lady that we're going to meet. And she's like, why did you? Lori's like, why did you call the news station? Well, I didn't know what to do. Lori said, I told you not to do anything until we got here. Mm-hmm. Why would you call the news station? She was looking for her five minutes of fame. Yes. So anyway, so she's, we're walking through the chat piles and picture. And then finally, I mean, like I did have my gun in my back. Oh, that's good. Pants. Good. And then I thought, maybe I should drop a pin. Yeah. And so I text my husband and dropped a pin and I'm like, here's where we are. Cause the cell phone reception's not great. Yeah. yeah. I'm like, here's where we are in case, you know, something should happen. You at least have a starting point. And he's like, Oh Lord, what's going on? I'm like, we literally walked over a chat pile around a chat. I mean, like we walked like a mile and a half and she's like, Oh gosh, I don't remember where I saw them. And I'm like, you didn't put markers out. And finally, finally we found them. We get, and I'm, I walk up and I'm looking at this vertebrae that's perfectly laid out on top of the ground and my first thought was is she even for real right now like how, look how big that is was it fake or was it no it an was animal? real but it wasn't it was a cow yeah okay oh. i mean i'm like and so i i looked at her and i'm like this is what you brought us out here for and she's like yeah and i'm like did you find it like that and she's like well no i put the pieces together and i'm like you so you touched it First of all, oh my gosh! Well, I had my gloves on, and she has those little, you know, winter purple fuzzy gloves. Oh yeah, let's leave fuzz all over and it. And I'm like, <laughs> crazy. 
And oh, so... we've had, and that one's mild. Wow. That's mild. And I had one call me saying, goodness, they didn't call Lauren, but it was just as hard for me. Called me and told me that she had watched them be murdered and that she watched them hang them in the trees and skin them like deer. I mean, we've heard it all. We have literally heard it all. And that's the things that don't let you sleep at night. But how messed up do you have to be to call family of somebody who's missing a loved one and say, yeah, I watched them be murdered and I saw them being skinned. And anytime we have a search or anytime there's something on TV or a new podcast Mm -hmm. for the next few days, my Facebook messenger will blow up because somebody knows something. And then you won't hear anything for a while. And it's not anybody that knows anything. It hasn't been. I mean, someday there could be. And that's our hope. That's why we keep doing what we do. Because we do want that person to come forward. But there's, you got to weed through it. I mean, yeah. yeah, And I think that people forget that we're real people. This is a story. I mean, it's a story, but it's our life. It's real. And there's so much false. Mm -hmm. So it's very hurtful. And I don't think people think about that. When they think whatever they think that makes them yeah. think, well, I'm just going to call yeah. somebody and tell them that their girls' bodies were put yeah. in a wood chipper and they're covered in... I can't um, imagine that. They're covered out on Highway 69 <sighs> in, you know, uh, asphalt. Think, think before I you message. I don't think people think before they tell... I think that they think, oh, I just want five minutes of fame. They yeah. don't realize that we're real people and the way we have to process the cruel and unusual things that you just told us, it's hard. Well, and you know what? If you do have a real legitimate lead, there is a delicate way to present that information. Yeah. Because you have to think about it like, if this were my mother, my daughter, my sister, my child, Mm -hmm. how would I want this information to come to me? Mm -hmm. Would I want someone to say wood chipper to me? Or do you think that is something that, you know, if we thought it was real lead, we'll leave that for, mm. you know, the detectives or, you For know. whatever reason, lately, the tips that we keep getting and we've, and I know it's been out there before because it's not new information, but all of a sudden it's the surge of people wanting to tell us that they've been put in barrels covered in concrete, thrown in rivers. Where are they getting that? Uh, that was something that was told way back that they were put in barrels and thrown off twin bridges. Or, Probably before you know, there was more information. It's, they, it's been read. And, and so those are the things that all of a sudden, for whatever reason, we have this whole bunch of people who wants to tell us the same thing. Yeah. I know where they're at. I know, and, and people get angry when we don't listen and say, I've told you, and why won't you answer me, or why won't you? And the thing that I, I think people don't realize is we have notebooks and notebooks yeah. and notebooks and notebooks of tips and information. Yeah. So it's not that the information isn't taken serious, and it's not that we don't write everything down. We do. Mm-hmm. But then we go back and go through everything to see if we can make a connection. Yeah. Does it even make sense mm-hmm. with everything that we know to be factual? You know, even after a dig like we had last week, in our private messenger, I probably had 20 people just send a private message that said, we're thinking of you today or, you know, and we appreciate every one of those. It's it's so good. And we do read those, but I don't have time to respond to all of those. Laureen doesn't have time to respond to all of those while we're also picking through Hey, we know that they've been put in a barrel and, you know, put what, or they, they've been put in a freezer and put, you know, you know, all the different things. Very Um, overwhelming. Yeah. I mean, and it's complex. And I think that if there was one thing that I would want people to take 
from this, it's that everything is taken serious, but it's so complex that just because you think you have the right answer, mm -hmm. this puzzle is so big mm -hmm. and there are so many pieces. Could you have the piece? Maybe, but we have to figure out how that piece would fit this puzzle yeah. before we can even dig into it. And we have so many people that says, well, you guys, you guys aren't taking it serious or law enforcement isn't taking it serious. I'm just gonna go, I'm gonna go dig up this place myself. I told you this is where they're buried. I'm gonna go dig it up myself. That's not how it works. Yeah. You know, if, if that's how it worked, we would have already dug up the entire oh, yeah. town of Pitcher by For now. For sure. It's just not that easy. And especially after this dig at Pitcher again last week, there were so many messages of, let's just have civilians meet and start digging. Mm -hmm. No, it's It's such can't. a dangerous place. It's so dangerous. Yeah, and the thing is, is that people that say that, their intentions are in the right place yeah. because they're frustrated yeah, they, with they us. They want to help. But their intentions are good. Really it just it. isn't that simple. Yeah. There are 14,000 mines under picture that spans miles and miles all and miles and miles, miles all the way, yes, to Joplin, Joplin Missouri. Missouri. And so if you get taken down there and left down there, even if you're not killed, even if you're just taken down there and left without a light, without a, a know of where this mine is going, you could easily go in the wrong direction. Oh, easily get turned around. And I want to say, this is the thing about the mines that I did not know when I did the picture episode. Um, I did not know until we got out there, and I did not know until we spoke to Loreen. So, um, she was telling us that she had got with... It wasn't the tribe. It's whoever's over the town of Pitcher now. Oh. The Geological Association? That they had all of those maps. I think it's the Geological Association. Where um, she got a hold of some maps that shows where open mines are. Like open mine shafts. The ones that haven't, um, you know, collapsed or been um, blocked off or whatever. And there are still, she said, over a hundred of them that are open. And I don't mean like a hole in the ground, like that you could barely fit through. I'm talking, she was explaining to us that it was like, no, these were for dump trucks. You can drive in there. That would drive down in there and load up chat and take it and haul it out. And it was miles and miles and miles that you could do this with. And so these are big open holes that you can just walk down in and get totally lost in. And so, you know, saying that they could be anywhere in those mines, there are 14,000 of those. There are still hundreds of them open from, you know, as far as they span. And they're just in people's backyards. They're just, you know, they're all over the place. It's, I mean, they're, and they're huge. And she's digging. She's digging everywhere she can dig. She has this map. She said that she's just going to them one by one. And she's, she's still looking after all of these years. She's still looking in cellars. She's still look anywhere in picture that she can get her hands on. She's looking in. And I cannot imagine looking for my child for two decades in a mine. And I mean, still going as if it happened yesterday. She is one of the most strongest most fearless women I've ever met. And just listening to her speak about her child and her child's best friend 
it literally just almost hypnotizes you because you almost get drawn into her despair Mm -hmm. and her strength at the same time. I don't Mm -hmm. even know how to explain that strength and despair, but it is almost at the same time. And you get so drawn in that you just don't even want to speak because you want to hear what she has to say. And you, it's almost like you feel what she's feeling. And I know it would be impossible to feel what a parent felt to lose their child, but it's almost like you're transformed into that moment with Mm -hmm. her it's especially like that when you're sitting knee to knee with her yes (laughs) yes and it's it's just I have no idea you know what they've went through all these years and what you know because they are the advocate for Ashley too because Ashley's parents and brother are gone yeah they're gone yeah and so it is amazing to me how you know you can be all these years later just as strong but as she's fierce oh man yes. she's probably the most yes. the most fearless fierce woman that i've ever met oh. um you know like she says they have this um they have this facebook group now you can go and keep up with their updates but it's called find flora bible bbi and please she, go join it. she'll tell you bbi is um the Bible Bureau of Investigation, because she had to take on that role herself. And she's never stopped. No. And she goes and goes and goes. She's fearless, the things that she's done. Um, w- the story that she told us. Things which you can never imagine. Which she talks about meeting the drug dealer with the drug cartel. And they're like, they're into human trafficking and, and all of this stuff. And she's just like... He asked her, he's like, why would you want to meet me back here on this back road? And she's like, well, what, basically, what do I have to lose? I have nothing to lose. Yeah. I mean, it, she's just absolutely fearless. No, I met with a guy by the name of Blue Eyes from Chautauqua. I mean, from Commerce. Because that's the sign he used. And he met me one night. We met on the dark roads over here in the middle of nowhere. And uh, he said, why would you come meet with me? I said, you know what? I'll meet with the devil himself. You got something you want me to know? I'm here to find that out. When I'm done, you go back your way, and I'll go back my way. That's all this is. And he told me, he said, ma'am, when somebody owes me money, I don't take it out on no wife and still not on no children. If somebody owes me money, I take it out with the man himself or the woman himself. I deal with them one-on-one. I don't interfere with their children, their families. He said, no. he said I don't. So I'm telling you, we didn't. He said, what do you think's happened? I said, well, I've heard it could be your cartel or any of the people associated in any of them that are joined yours. Mm-hmm. But I said, uh, I've heard that maybe they were sold to trafficking. They were somewhere in Mexico. And he said, I'll tell you what I can do. I can look in Mexico for you. He said, what do you work? Well, by that time, I had left Finita and I was working in Catusa. And he said, one of these days, somebody's going to show up and ask for you. And he'll tell you what I found out. He'll just ask for you and that's what he'll tell you. So it was probably 2008 Mm -hmm. 
2007, and someone yelled at me, Hey, Lorraine, there's some guy here that wants to talk to you. And I walked up there, and it was a little Hispanic dude. He said, You miss Bible? And I said, Yes, I am. You got a daughter with a mole on her face? And I said, Yes, she does. And he said, She not in Mexico, nowhere. The dirty blonde girl, she not there neither. We looked, she not nowhere in Mexico. Wow. She not in Mexico, nowhere. I said, well, thank you for your time. Tell your boss, I said, thank you. And he disappeared just the same as he showed up. Wow. But he told me, he said, aren't you scared? And I said, well, I, I figure that if somebody starts shooting at me, I must be getting close. Like, I don't think you know what you would do for your child until you have to do it. And she is absolutely the epitome of that statement. (laughs) I know. I just, I have nothing but just complete, complete, just in awe of her and what she's been through and her, what the family's been through. Even through some health problems. I know. She's still, she's like, even when we were sitting out there, she was like, oh yeah, we just dug over there last weekend and we're going to dig over there next weekend. I was like like it is 104 degrees out here it was hot and i know you have some health issues and you should not be out here right but now she acted like it was she, nothing like no bother like no bother because her. her mind is on finding her child yeah. yeah and so i mean it's just it's absolutely insane this journey that she's been on and i could only hope that those girls are found. I know. But uh, people ask, how did you get all the media? I said, well, I have to go give John Walsh credit for that. John Walsh. I said, he called on the third day. Oh, really? That that soon? Well, I have a friend in Vanita that's friends with the lady that is John Walsh's ex-wife's oh. best friend. Oh, okay. okay. So Jennifer called her and said, man, you're not going to believe this. This just happened in Craig County. Two missing 16-year-old girls disappeared off the face of the earth, and they have no clue where they're at. So she called John's wife, told her, well, she called John because even though they're divorced, they're still real good friends mm-hmm. because they have other children together, and, and they they learn after their son disappeared. Was she Adam's mom? Yes. Okay. Uh, and she's Tanner's mom, too. Okay. She tell, called and told him, she said, this two 16-year-old girls have just disappeared. And this is the number that Jennifer had given her friend that told her. So he called and he said, this is John Walsh with America's Most Wanted. I said, yeah. He said, well, what I'm going to do, this is like on a Wednesday. And America's Most Wanted was on on Friday nights. He said, what I'm going to do is I'm going to pull from the news station which one has the best coverage of that day. Oh, man. So Channel 7 out of Pittsburgh, Kansas does. He said, yeah. I said, they were the first one on the scene. They'll have all the ones with the fire and all that. And Channel 16 and 12 out of Joplin was there. Two, six, and eight out of Tulsa was there. But Channel 7 was the footage that was gotten right away. Mm-hmm. He said, okay. He said, well, I'll do that. I'll have a little more on the second week. The third week, my people will be there. They will have recorded. And I, on the third week, three weeks from now, it'll be on America's Most Wanted, a 20-minute wow. segment. He said, uh, 
my ex-wife, actually, and I went through this. I said, yeah, with Adam. He said, right now, you and your husband do not blame each other. Yeah. Do not point the finger if you'd have done this, if I'd have done this. He said, it's nobody's fault. Bad things happen to good people. Yeah. He said, nobody told us when Adam disappeared. We were too much about, if you'd have done this, well, if you'd have been on time, if you'd have done this, mm -hmm. I would have been in a store where he went and hid in the clothes and somebody took it. He said, that animosity come between us, and over the years, we finally divorced. Because it was just too big of a gap. Yeah. He said, I'm telling you, it's nobody's fault. He said, but you, as a mom, you need to decide. I said, decide what? He said, you need to decide if you're going to go hide in a closet and lock yourself in it and not come out, let it consume you, or are you going to be your daughter's voice? I said, well, I don't hide from anything. I'm not made that way, so I guess I'll be her voice. He said, then you need to be her voice. You need to talk to anybody, everybody you can, and then some. He said, let's hope in five years we find out what happened to the girls. Hope 10 years we're not here. But he said, I need you to be her voice. Did anybody ever ask you or approach you after this, asking you if you need services? To this day, no one see, has ever. That is yeah. wrong on yeah. so yeah. many levels. And that should have been one of the first things. On, on your worst day, something that has happened to you, you should not have to track these things down on your own or even have to think about it. There should be someone no. there to go, let me help I don't, you. I don't even know that that's a thought that we had. See, yeah, you, you know, should, yeah, really, you shouldn't have to. Have you shouldn't have to. It should just be someone that comes to you and says, "Look, I'm here. I'm mm -hmm. going to help you with this. I'm going to support because they're supposed to be there to support you." And and do you know, oddly, in 23 support. years, you're the first person to ever even ask. <sighs> All these years, has did anyone try to give you guys any sort of emotional or psychological mm -hmm. help? We've never even been asked that question before. Mm -hmm. So you're the first to ever ask that in 23 years. That's just, to me, that's, it's you know, just... Which we're not quite to 23, but we're, you know, we're almost there. But, I mean, to me, that is just... It's unacceptable. That's sad, isn't it? On April 23rd, 2018, Craig County District Attorney Investigator Gary Stansill and Oklahoma State Bureau of Investigation Special Agent Tammy Ferrari filed a 29-page affidavit arrest warrant for 66-year-old Ronnie Dean Busick on four counts of first-degree murder, two counts of kidnapping, and one count of first-degree arson. Stansel began investigating the case in September 2011. However, it was not believed Busick acted alone. Phil Welch, David Pennington, and Ronnie Busick were known to be part of the, quote, Chautauqua Five out of Kansas. So, who are the other two? As notorious as the Chautauqua Five is around those parts, Lorene suspects that people are scared to talk about them and what they may possibly know. David Pennington, who was 56, was implicated and 61-year-old Phil Welch was described as the, quote, mastermind behind the arson, kidnappings, and murders. Busick would be the only man to serve time for the heinous crimes. 
Pennington died in 2015 and Welch died in 2007. So this was the first major break in the case in years. Stancil combed through all of the case files, which led him to the same insurance verification card that was discovered one or two days after the fire. And the investigation would lead them from Welch to Pitcher to Chautauqua, then back to Welch. Now, the only place that Mandy and I did not visit was Chautauqua. On January 3rd, 2000, OSBI agent Steve Nutter interviewed the woman whose name was on the insurance verification card. She just happened to be Welch's ex-girlfriend. On January 9th, 2011, another one of Welch's girlfriends, whose name isn't revealed in the affidavit, reported that Welch cooked methamphetamine and was often associated with David Pennington and Ronnie Busick. While living together, the woman overheard conversations between Welch, Pennington, and Busick about the people who were, quote, killed in Welch, Oklahoma, end quote. During these conversations, it was stated that they, quote, had owed them money and had been murdered for that debt. They had taken the two girls that were missing from Welch with them and eventually killed them. Pennington and Busick indicated they had set the fire to the home of the murdered people, end quote. So even more horrific, the woman stated she had seen some Polaroid photographs of the two girls and that it was clear in the photographs that they were not being held willingly. A bedspread seen in the photographs were also identified as one belonging to Phil Welch. Oddly enough, for the longest time, there are claims that a missing poster of Ashley Freeman and Laura Bible had been hung on the wall in Welch's house in Pitcher for a while. And this is not atypical because, well, we're not going to say that this guy did or didn't, but if he did, uh, there's also a photo of the uh, who did it, like, looking for this man's sketch of himself behind him in the Delphi murders. So we'll, we'll see what goes on there. But so this isn't really atypical. It's kind of narcissistic. But after the woman saw that poster in his home, she was certain that the girls in the Polaroids were in fact the same girls on the poster. And until 2016, Stancil didn't actually receive any additional information or leads about Welch or Pennington or Busick. And it was at that time that Stancil interviewed one of Pennington's ex-girlfriends. And that's when the woman told investigators that Pennington had threatened her and said that she would be thrown into the pit with the girls if she told anyone what she knew. So there was another witness interviewed in 2017 who told investigators that Busick, quote, started running his mouth, end quote, about his involvement in the Freeman murders, as well as the kidnappings of Ashley and Laura. And Busick had also told this witness that the girls had been kept alive for several days and that he hadn't shot the Freemans, but he stayed behind with Pennington and set the home on fire. And this witness named Welch as the shooter. So if you read through the affidavit, all of the witness stories named Phil Welch, David Pennington, and Ronnie Busick as the arsonists, kidnappers, and murderers. Yet 
it's not until 2017 that the last living member of the three was interrogated by Ferrari and Stancil. And it's still unknown who the other two people are if these three make up the bulk of the Chateauva Five, or if they were involved in any way. According to the affidavit, Busick was interviewed three times, despite the the plethora of evidence and statements against him, Busick still tried to maintain that he didn't know where the girls were. Um, he did admit to hanging around Welch and Pennington, you know, back in that day. And he also described Welch as, quote, cold-blooded and Pennington as, quote, sheepish. Although an arrest was made and the killers were identified... Private investigator Tom Pryor told Stansel and Ferrari that after he discovered this insurance verification card, law enforcement hadn't taken possession of it. So, he and Joe Dugan tracked down the car that the insurance card belonged to, and it led them to a salvage yard. And with permission, they went through this vehicle. So, shortly after Pryor stated that he reported the vehicle and his findings to law enforcement, he was told that the vehicle had gone through too many hands to be processed for evidence. This is also why it's really important that if you find anything, you don't touch it. Or if you find something, you immediately turn it over to law enforcement without touching it, physical evidence-wise. Again, Pyre and Dugan had also interviewed Welch two weeks after the murders. Their investigation led them to believe Welch, Pennington, and Busick were involved in the murders and the kidnaps, kidnappings of the girl then, only two weeks after this had initially happened. So in the affidavit, Pryor does admit that he stopped investigating the Freeman case after being told. Uh, there came a point where he was told by law enforcement personnel that he was interfering with an investigation and they actually threatened to take his private investigator's license um, if he didn't cease his personal, his own investigation. And so he stopped investigating. Now, Stancil and Ferrari also learned that after Joe Dugan had died in May uh, 2009, one of his relatives had actually taken his box of investigative material, a bunch of stuff pertaining to the case, and took that to the Craig County Sheriff's Office and turned it in. The affidavit states that the Sheriff's Office actually refused to take the material. And I don't know if they were the ones who destroyed it or if the family destroyed it, but it was eventually destroyed. So there's no telling what kind of, of evidence might have been in there as well. So on April 23rd, 2018, Ronnie Busick was arrested and charged with the deaths of Laura Bible and Ashley Freeman, Danny and Kathy. In 2019, a jury trial was set to determine Busick's competency. He was found competent to stand trial in the murder of Danny and Kathy and the kidnapping and presumed deaths of Ashley and Laura. Once this was over, the jury deliberated for only 45 minutes. And in 2020, Busick entered a guilty plea where he his sentence was dependent upon leading investigators to the bodies of the missing girls. He was given a 10-year prison sentence and five years probation for his involvement. He is also receiving credit from time served since his April 2018 arrest. He still claims 
to this day that he didn't have anything to do with the murder of the Freemans or the kidnapping or the torture or the presumed eventual deaths of the girls, he still hasn't given any locations of where they could possibly be found. Laureen is my aunt by marriage, but we are literally the same person. We're very in control. And if you allow yourself to break, then that break is going to be hard to recover from. So you don't. You push, you push, you push, and you keep going. It's just, and especially after we just came off a search, and I know that I'm a different person in those few days after, and I will be a different person tomorrow because we've sat here and talked tonight. And it's not intentional. But you're coping. But that's how I cope with it because I never knew any other way. Yeah. Yeah. You know, you had to be strong. You had to push through. You had to do this. Mm -hmm. And and so that's how I am. I think that is an Oklahoma woman thing. I think it is. And crying is a sign of weakness. Yes. You don't cry. That was very hard for Jax when she first was talking to us. And like, I I hate to cry. Mm -hmm. Even when I talk about the dreams and I get choked up, I'm like, don't do that. That's something that people have said about Laureen is she's so hard. There was a time though that people were saying things. Why doesn't she ever cry? It's amazing what you hear on Walmart when you're walking down an aisle and people yeah. don't know you're on the other side. Mm-hmm. When they had brought Ronnie Busick, well, it was right before they brought him down. It was when they had called us all in. They had arrested him. You know, we had this huge day and all this stuff was mm-hmm. going on. I, her and I walked aside and I said, I'm going to ask you to do something today. And she's like, what? And I said, you're going to have to show some emotion. She's like, hell no. And I'm like, you have to. It's hard. You don't understand. Because that's also part of that control. It is. And I said, said, I'm not telling you that you have to break down and cry because Mm -hmm. has she cried before? Yes, she has. I've seen it. But she will not let anyone else Mm -hmm. see it. I mean, that's her. That's how she grew up. Absolutely. Absolutely. And I am the same way, but I told her that day, I'm like, you cannot be so stiff and so yeah. stoic that people think you're heartless. Yeah. We're just, there's so much talk about it. And she's like, kind of giving me the eye roll, looking at me like, whatever daughter, mm-hmm. you know, and, and she did, you know, kind of break during the interview. And then later she said, was that good enough for you? And I'm like, <laughs> thank you. <laughs> like smart aleck you know yeah. but she had to put back on that okay like let's get back to business yes. now. you know yeah. I mean we we do have a definite uh unique relationship for sure so do you think they got the right guy oh I think he knows a lot I think he says he doesn't know he may not know where the girls were actually buried at yeah but he knows the scenario what was happening he knows that yeah he did, he did, when I saw him after they extradited him back from Kansas, because they let me see him. So I didn't hear to be mean to you. I'm not here to tell you anything. That's my child. I need to find her body mm-hmm. so I can take her somewhere other than over there where that trailer was. And this is a memorial site where all the bad crap happened to him. I said, I need a place that we can put him that we can, that can be their rest their soul rest for their resting place and have a memorial that's not overshadowed by all the bad. And he said, well, I don't know, I don't know. And I said, do you have a child? 
do you have a kid? Well, Charlie knew he did. And he said, Jill. I said, how old is she? He said, well, she died when she was an infant. Oh. I said, okay, do you know where she's at? He said, she's in the cemetery. Do you know where the cemetery is? He said, yeah. I said, so you can go visit your child. Yes, no. I said, that's all I'm asking you. I want to go where to find the girls, take the bones, put them somewhere where I can go, other than up there a picture. Mm-hmm. And he told me, he said, I didn't kill anybody. I didn't set fire to you. And I didn't abduct anybody. Uh, I said, no, but you said and you allowed it to happen. Did you go to the nearest police officer and tell him, hey, I saw this go down. Here's where those girls are at. He said, no. I said, well, then you've heard you're guilty by association. Yeah, my dad said one of these days, the friends I run around with, I was going to pay hell for it one of these days. I was going to get in lots of trouble for it. I said, well, that day's today. You're being charged four counts of premeditated murder. Well, I didn't kill anybody. I didn't do it. And I don't think he actually knows where the girls' bodies are. He just heard talk yeah. that they could be in a root cellar or a cellar or a mine shaft. And when you're in that thing, talking to all the drug people I've talked to, when you're in it that long, you learn to keep your trap shut if you want to stay alive. Yeah. yeah. I told him, I said, well, one of these days, I mean, he got 10 years. He took the deal for 10 years. At his age and his medical condition, yeah. he'll either die in prison or he won't last long when he comes out. But yeah. I said, when he does get out, when he walks out of that prison, I'm going to be standing there. You're going to look around every day and wonder if I'm behind you. I will guarantee you that, buddy. I mean, of course, it would have been helpful to have the other two to kind of piece things together and go, okay, well, he thinks that they're here and he thinks that they're here. And so we can at least triangulate Oh, I something. bet you Welch probably had a pretty good idea. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Oh, yeah. I, I think if anyone knew, it was Phil Welch. He could probably take you, maybe not to the exact point mm-hmm. because of memory and drugs and yeah. years, but pretty close because he you have to remember he lived there part-time so he knew the area very well and i don't think busick did and here's the complete opposite end of the spectrum for me because i like to be optimistic there is always always the chance that those girls are still alive somewhere i would love to think that at any moment those girls are going to walk in Mm -hmm. laureen's house oh yeah and you know, they're going to be grown women mm-hmm. and she's going to get to see them again. Mm-hmm. But unfortunately, the odds, the are, odds are probably pretty slim. Yeah. And, you know, th- there's the thing that I've always mentioned. Yes, people are kidnapped. People are taken. People are kept hostage. I mean, we've ta- we've seen women kept hostage before and then let go. But we're talking about from 1999 to yeah. 2022. Yeah. It's just more about wanting Laureen to have we say closure but there's no such thing no, as closure no when something violent happens yeah, to no. your child or you know there's anyone just, of your family there's cannot, no such thing as closure but ever. to have a knowing where those girls are yeah. and to put those girls knowledge. in a proper barrier yeah knowledge is power yes and you know could you imagine I'd want to know oh yeah 
Absolutely. I, I would be. Absolutely. Yeah. I'd want to know. And it's not always been easy for my kids because they would want to go. I think when they were younger, before they really understood, they would want to go. And I would be like, no, we're not going to do that. I don't know their parents. I don't know their family. Yeah. Like, I don't know anything. And then um, once they started learning and understanding, they were good with it. But oddly enough, I had a lot of parents that were not, that would be really angry with me. You don't trust me. You won't let oh, your no. kids come I to my house. Know you. And, and so my you? kids would hear the backlash from other kids. Well, your mom's weird and your mom won't let you do this. So that makes you weird. Oh my gosh. So my kids went through a lot and my daughter still um, has went through a lot of stuff because of how I have done things. And I mean, I had one mom that just called me and said, you're not doing her any favors. You're making kids not want to be around her oh, because wow. you don't let her do anything. Yeah, even my daughter's dance teacher said to me one time, you're going to have to chill out. You got to stop hovering so much. And I'm like, until you've walked in my shoes, you can't tell me not to hover. I just don't feel like we can be too safe. And I think this event not only changed our lives, I think it changed society. Anybody in this area, Mm -hmm. um, for the most part, everybody started raising their kids. We never locked our doors. Yeah, and it really did kind of change everything, you know? I mean, like, my children never knew Laura. Yeah. You know, my daughter, I was 28 before I had my daughter. Mm -hmm. Laura had been gone for, what, six years before my daughter was even born. But the effects of what's happened to her has shaped my daughter's life, and it will shape the lives of her children someday, too. And oddly, she didn't want to know anything. Um, really up until the last year, we would have camera crews in the house a lot and things going on. And my kids would just be like blinded to it. They didn't want to know it. They didn't want to see it. Yeah. And I, I really had kept that part of my life separate, even from my husband. Um, the husband that I was married to when Laura was taken, we divorced six years after we were married and I remarried. And so my husband now is a police officer wasn't a part of any of this, um, thankfully, but, um, I kept it very separate because he wasn't there when this happened. And it's very hard for me to let people in to that. He says that I get in these modes whenever we have things going on with the girls and he knows to just stay away. Mm. And I, I think that I probably do get this totally different persona about me that I don't realize that I am, but it's like, I have to switch gears. And if there's one thing that we've had to learn, it's patience. Mm -hmm. Has it been easy? No, that we don't have a choice. Um, nothing turn, nothing happens fast. The hands do not turn fast and you have to wait for them. Unfortunately, You have to wait. I mean, the two years that it took to get Ronnie Busick behind bars, yeah. was excruciating. Going to court over and I over and over it for it to probably. be continued yeah. mm-hmm. was horrible. Um, but we knew going into it, it wasn't going to be open and shut. We knew it wasn't going to happen fast. Yeah. Um, and unless you've ever had to walk in any type of thing like this, you don't understand how it works. Is it unfair? Yeah, it is. Uh, should we have had to go for two years back and forth to court every month, every two months, every three months, whatever? No, but we did. Yeah. And being mad about it doesn't change a thing. It's not going to make time yeah. go any faster. Someday when Lorraine isn't here, 
I will still be here. Mm -hmm. And without her, I will still fight this fight if we have to. I hope we don't. I hope that it's over. I hope that before my aunt dies, she, she gets that piece of being able to put her daughter in her final resting place. But then there's that other side of me that also I'm a very firm believer. And I think if something were to happen to her, she'll know, Yeah. you know, she'll be with her daughter again. They'll be yeah. reunited and none of this will matter anymore. Yeah. But until then we fight. Yeah. And if we don't have that answer when she's gone, I need that answer. Mm-hmm. And I think now it's passed on to my own daughter. If I'm gone, Laura will still be remembered. We don't want her to be forgotten. Yeah. Um, and we don't want her to always be remembered as the victim because she was. That's exactly. An incredible human. Yes. Long before she was a victim. Yeah. But unfortunately now she's been a victim longer than mm-hmm. she was just the girl next door. Yeah. Yeah. And I mean, you know, I, I took this weird little class about, um, missing persons and the grieving process. Mm-hmm. And it, it was basically like, you know, you have these triggers that people don't think about. Um, like it's another birthday without them. Mm-hmm. It's another Christmas. Oh, yeah. without. And we've even heard Lorraine say on several occasions, like she didn't even take the Christmas tree down for like years and years and years and years and years, because that was Laura's favorite time of year. Her she last was the Christmas one. With them. It was the last Christmas. She was the one that put the Christmas tree up, and that's a way of grieving. And nobody can tell you how to grieve. No, no, it's just, you know that's a symbolic to her that yeah. Christmas tree. Yeah, and that makes her feel like Laura's still right mm-hmm. there with her. And so, however you grieve, you grieve. Yeah, and however you get through something, you get through something. Now I know that. This brings up a whole other ball of wax, but people, you know, can get off on unhealthy things and, Mm -hmm. you know, drinking drugs, things. But just the grieving itself without bringing all these other things into it, Mm -hmm. how you grieve is is how you grieve. I mean, that's just... It's okay. Whether you cry or you don't cry. So if you don't cry, (laughs) if you don't cry right away, do not think something is wrong with you grieving because it's not. Because in fact, I kind of grieve that way. Mm -hmm. I'm very, very quiet. And then it's later when it hits me because I go into this, I got to take care of the situation mode. Mm -hmm. Even if it's not my job to take care of it, I have to think I have to be the quiet still, the one that charges on. And then later on after everything's over mm-hmm. is when it hits me. Yeah, I'm kind of the same way. Like it's like put it put it out of your mind until, you know, you you've dealt with everything you need to deal with. You've dealt with the funeral. You've dealt with, you know, all of these things and then later it's like the most unexpected thing that finally gets at you and you just let it all out. And I know that 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 is what's most important to her now is just finding them and bringing them home and putting them where she can as she says can visit at least visit yes you know so and she goes out there to that memorial all the time all the time but she wants to know that that's where her daughter is you know like that thing that person was a part of your body you made it with your own body you want to know where 
the rest of your body is. Oh, yeah. <laughs> I mean, it, it is it is amazing because you, you think about that and, you know, giving birth to a child mm-hmm. is just the most closest thing you can ever be to another person. Yeah. And you want to make sure you know where that person is the rest of your life. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I mean, because it is an extension of you. Yeah. Our kids are an extension of us. They Absolutely. really are. They're part of our DNA. Yep. Yep. Absolutely. So, you know, salute. We salute yes. you, Lorraine. Yes. <laughs> and we will advocate and help you in any way we yeah. can. Any Please way know we that. can. We're always with you. Absolutely. We want nothing more than to find the girls mm-hmm. and give them a final resting place. But then what will we do when that mission is accomplished? Yeah. Because this has been our way it's of life such for a so long. Mission. Yeah. You know, we've kind of talked about what kind of laws could be put in effect? Yeah. What direction could we go to change some things? Mm-hmm. I don't want another family to suffer what ours has suffered. Mm-hmm. I need to make things better for someone else because no one made it better for us. Oh, I, th- I feel like awful. our case is, you could teach a whole course on what not to do mm-hmm. in yeah, every single aspect from yeah. the very minute up until 2016. I mean, we went for... 16 years yeah that we had nothing this case is very close to our hearts all cases are very extremely every case is important yeah but there are some that stick with you that you cannot get out of your mind and you get close to them yeah you know and i I wish we could get close to every case Mm -hmm. because we would Mm-hmm. But, you know, unfortunately, that is not possible yeah. to be able to go and interview because some cases people aren't alive anymore yeah. or there's not really, you know. And so when we do get a chance, we do. Yeah. And um, thank you for taking this journey with us and allowing us to tell this story. Mm-hmm. It's it's important that these girls are remembered. Yeah. And they're thought of. And, you know, it just takes one person. Just one yeah. So if you know someone or anyone that might have any information, please reach out. This is not just about giving out entertainment. That's not what this is about. Yeah. It's about telling a story and helping to advocate mm-hmm. for two girls Yeah, that cannot advocate for themselves. Right. Yeah. And so, you know, it's important to get these stories out there and it brings prevention. Yeah. It helps bring prevention and advocacy because without knowing these stories and without really seeing, you know, listening for yourself from the survivors and the authors that dug deep into these stories, you don't know how to put preventions out there to, you know, for safety and for, you know, things that you can do in the future to keep help keep safe. It's about learning from from the past. It's about advocating for people. And it's about building a better future for people. Yeah, Raven has worked so hard and done so much. I mean, she works endlessly for these cases and for these victims and victims families Mm -hmm. and and just puts in so much time and effort. And, you know, I salute her, too. I'm constantly going. But I'm constantly trying <laughs> as best well, I can. <laughs> you're amazing. And I know I speak for myself and everybody else that's ever worked with you and the listening community. I'm sure you can, guys can agree with me that we're very thankful. So thank you. Thank you. <laughs> it's a lot. I think for, for many years, 
Um, I would have nightmares about things happening to her. Mm. But then somewhere at some point, the last bad dream that I had, I dreamt that it was her wedding day and she was walking down the aisle and when her dad lifted her veil, there was no face. And that was probably the last bad one that I had. And then after that, when I would dream about her, um, it's like she was telling me she was okay. So that's helped. There's been times that I have just dreamt that we're just sitting by grandpa's barn, just talking. Um, one that I had not that long ago, she, I had my phone and she said, what is that thing? Cell phones, cell phones were just coming right, out. Right. Yeah. And she said, what is that? And I'm like, it's my phone. Yeah. Like, what do you mean? What is that? And she's like, well, what's it do? So I was showing her how a cell phone worked. For the longest time, I kept having this reoccurring dream where she was like running ahead and showing me where she was. Mm -hmm. And then finally, I finally figured out that at some point I had watched the shack mm -hmm. and the things that I was seeing the in the is, dream yeah. okay. and where she was running to, yeah. it were in relation to that movie. But it took yeah. me a long time to think, you know what? I know where this is coming from. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And they had probably, I'd, it'd probably been two years before that I had seen that movie. Mm -hmm. When I started having the dreams of like things of her, she'd say, I like your shoes. Can I, I want to wear your shoes those kinds of things and what's what is the cell phone when I want to see the cell phone and one time in my dream she just said thanks for always being with mom those make the next day possible there's been so many life events that you want to rejoice in but there's always that missing piece you know um the day my daughter is born was the best day of my life she should have been there because she would have been there. Yeah. Causing chaos. <laughs> because that's who she was. Immediate nickname. Go. <laughs> <laughs> right? Exactly. Um, yeah, because we were definitely that family. Um, you know, things like... I think it was my 30th birthday, maybe? My aunt and another couple of my other aunts and Melissa, they showed up and like destroyed my yard and did things you oh know my gosh. she would have been in the middle of that you know they had to put the black signs out and one other time um i maybe like my 25th birthday or something they came over and took a bar of soap and like wrote on my screen so that it was not going to come off my <laughs> oh, windows no. wow, i've never, I've never thought about that <laughs> yeah and i'm like that's things that she would have done or it would have been her idea to do those yeah, things. Yeah, I was about to say, it sounds like she would have led the charge. She would have, <laughs> you know, yeah. And so, and oddly, she's going to be 40 her next birthday and I've been, that's been in my mind a lot. Like, what would I be doing to her? <laughs> like, yeah. she's got it coming, <laughs> you know, she would have been 40 or be, she'll be 40 um, in April. So those life moments that she's supposed to be a part of and isn't. Mm-hmm. It's hard and thinking about what would have been her life moments that we've missed out on. Like she should have went to cosmetology school and she should have been the one cutting my hair, you yeah. know, and doing the things. And my kids should have been being raised with her kids. Mm -hmm. And that was taken from us. That's unfair. Life's not fair.
In May of 2023, Ronnie Busick was released from prison. This was extremely disheartening for all of us. Uh, the sad part was is that I had actually signed up for VineLink and got notified that he was going to be released through VineLink. We did not know at the time that no one had informed Lisa or Lorene or the family of VineLink. So they actually found out third, fourth, fifth hand that he was being released from prison. Um, there was never really a very good reason given for him to be released from, from prison, especially seeing as how he was supposed to be serving um, until he gave information about the location of the girls. And that was part of his deal. And that never happened. And then in May, he was released. We did um, get with the family and tried to get a protest together. I actually contacted my um, my girl, Abby, at Fox 23. I got her um, to get a news crew down for his release. And we got uh, Loreen on camera. Of course she was there. Of course she was there at the prison the day he was released. And at least got her interview um, interviewed then um, about her feelings about this because he was actually kind of rushed out in the middle of the night. We were told that he was going to be released at a certain time on a certain day, and he had actually been released six hours prior to that um, to us even showing up at the prison. And so later, um, you know, we we kind of found out that they snuck him out a back door and put him on a bus and sent him on his way. Um, we learned later in 2023 that his health was deteriorating. We think that there's a possibility that they just simply didn't want to continue paying for his health um, bills while in prison. And so they released him and we found out that at one point he was in a nursing home in Oklahoma City. And, um, the saddest part is that now he is back in Chitopa, which is very close to Vanita. It's 20 minutes away from where he and other men committed these horrible crimes. And again, the family was not notified that he was living this close to them, is living this close to them. So... Stay safe out there. Make sure that you're always aware of your surroundings. And, you know, if you find something out, make sure that you inform people because you never know. Um, the system has completely let this family down. They had no victim advocates. They had no one to tell them about resources and things that we thought were common knowledge to families like this. VineLink. Um, they, they had never heard about it. And so now we check with every family we talk to if they're signed up for VineLink and, and it's something that you can sign up for. You don't have to be a victim family member, but, um, but you can sign up for it and make sure that you get notified when people are released or moved around in prison. And so with that, I want to say with a heavy heart, that's it. 
he's walking around free. And um, it's very, very sad that this family has to continue to deal with these surprises and the fear and the grief for just years and years and years, 20 something years. And that is something that can never be rectified. Erected close by are sentiments of hope and love and strength, which will have to suffice until a final resting place can be had for Laura and Ashley. You've reached the end of our episode. All suspects are innocent until proven guilty in a court of law. Join Raven next time on the Sirens Podcast. Do we have an outro? That's our outro, isn't it?